This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 127. Today's episode is all about rituals to fix your life and reparent yourself. We need to build faith in ourselves, in our bodies. You can have lots of opinions and thoughts about yourself, but do you have the faith that you are worthwhile and that you are worthy in your body? I really believe that we need to build the faith in our joints, in our muscle memory, that we can achieve the goals we want to achieve and that we are stronger when we treat ourselves well and don't just have a soundtrack of, I suck, I'm the worst, I'm not worthy, I'm doomed, I'm going to lose my job, which was definitely the soundtrack of my life for a long time. When we give up on these things too early, we rob ourselves of the benefit of the feeling of achieving small goals. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends and wild people. First off, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, please hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and tons more value. Plus, it helps me grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone could use a little more mind love. You guys, I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. This is another one of those conversations that I could have kept going for another few hours. She just felt like an old friend. What's interesting is even though we have completely different childhood histories, we both ended up in a similar spot in our 20s. How, you might ask? Well, it's actually really common because what we figured out is we both just didn't know how to love or take care of ourselves. I actually got a topic request from a listener named Cassandra Kay who asked about the mother wound. And although this episode doesn't use that particular term, we will be talking a lot about the thing that heals the mother wound, and that's reparenting ourselves. Reparenting just means being the parent that you never had to yourself. But what if you had great parents like I did? Well, reparenting yourself could be being an extension of the parent that you did have to yourself when you're on your own. I have a great mother. We have our issues, of course, but what mother-daughters don't? She gave me love. She took care of me. I excelled in schools. Yeah, sure, there are things I'll do differently when I raise kids, but I wouldn't change anything about the way I was raised because I love who I am now. And all the things she did, essentially, were big stepping stones in who I am today. My issues arised after a series of events outside of my home life that affected how I valued myself, or how I didn't value myself, I should say. But our guest today, she didn't have parents that took care of her very well. She lived an affluent life, but she was also very neglected, so she didn't even know what taking care of someone, especially taking care of yourself, looked like. And somehow, for both of us, our 20s were a shit show of irresponsible decisions and a whirlwind of self-sabotage. But here's the thing. Whether we have great parents or shitty parents, most of us still haven't been taught how to take care of ourselves in a way that makes us feel like we're thriving. We learn more about how to take care of other people than we do about taking care of ourselves. 
Well, what we both found was that healing ourselves wasn't about reaching this point of enlightenment or this one big thing that made all the difference. It was more like a series of small decisions and commitments that began to heal one wound at a time. So regardless of your childhood situation, this episode has a ton of value because it's all about the little things that you can do to start to build your life from the inside out instead of the other way around. Our guest today is Tara Schuster. She's an author, playwright, and accomplished entertainment executive, currently serving as the vice president of talent and development at Comedy Central. Her credits include Lights Out with David Spade, Emmy and Peabody award-winning Key and Peel, and Emmy award-winning Midnight. Needless to say, I'm very excited to talk to her today. Three key things we will learn are what it means to reparent yourself, how to stop seeking approval from others, and a journaling ritual to start creating your life with intention. Also, you'll definitely want to check out the show notes for this one at mindlove.com slash 127 because I have some printables that go along with today's learnings. Before we dive in, do you want to know a great way to start each day with a little more care for yourself? Sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational emails right to your inbox. And I'm doing something special right now and tailoring these messages to the things that lift our spirits during self-isolation, fear, and uncertainty. And it's helping. Just yesterday, I got a reply saying, thank you so much. These messages are going right to the core of what we need during these troubled times. And someone else who said, thank you so much for the morning mind love. They are everything. And when you sign up, you'll get some amazing free gifts, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to a higher vibration. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power lists to help you gain clarity and live with intention, even when you're stressed. And it's all completely free. So join over 8,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Tara Schuster to the show. Thank you for having me, Melissa. I'm happy to be here. I like to start with your story. I was reading your story. I felt so connected to it. And it's so interesting because we started from completely different places in life. Our family life was not the same at all, but ended up in very similar situations by our 20s and just those self-destructive patterns. So tell us a little bit about where you came from and your story, what led you to here? Yeah, and that's definitely so interesting because a lot of the feedback I get on the book is that it sort of doesn't matter what your background was. We can all end up in the place that I ended up. (laughs) It's funny, I never set out to write a book. That was never in my mind. I set out to save my life. So I had grown up in a very neglectful household where things came to die. All of the pets, all of the plants, Coco, the Himalayan cat was carried away by coyotes. And there was really no adult to do anything about it. It was chaotic to say the least. And so by the time I was in my mid-20s, I was just this mess wreck disaster of a person. I felt severe anxiety that, that lived in a little knot above my heart. And you would often find me as the girl on West 10th Street in Manhattan, kind of kneading at her arm and armpit, trying to work out her anxiety because it was ruining her day. And on a good day, you'd find me openly weeping on the subway. And that was a good thing because it means I made it through work okay. And I probably would have just continued in this feeling of a perpetual headache and anxiety had I not 
hit rock bottom when I drunk dialed my therapist on my 25th birthday. And I threatened to hurt myself, which the next morning, listening to her voicemails as she was trying to find me and hearing the worry in her voice, I got really worried. I got worried that this wasn't a life I was going to survive, that I was exhausted in my guts, and that I didn't know how to move forward. I didn't have some wise mentor or parent to ask, how do you build a life? I didn't even know how to change a vacuum cleaner filter. So I felt completely unprepared to change my life, even though I knew I had to. And I also had this feeling that I should be okay, that I didn't have it that bad, that there were lots of childhoods much worse than mine. So why didn't I have my shit together? But I decided that next morning that it really didn't matter how I should feel or who I should be. I was miserable and wanted a different life, that the shoulds were tripping me up and not letting me take myself seriously. So I decided to stop with the should talk and start dealing with what was real, which was I was miserable and extremely self-destructive. So I thought, okay, how can I get myself out of this? I had always been a really good student. And my parents had gone into credit card debt to put me in a really good private school in L.A. I went to Brown on a combination of loans and scholarships. I had always been really good at work, but bad at life. Really good at anything where I got external validation. That was my jam. So I thought, well, what if I approach this like school? What if I made a curriculum of reparenting myself and self-care? So. I started a Google Doc where I just asked all the questions I had. And I had just learned about Google Docs in college. It was a a new thing at the time. But I asked, what are values? What are principles? What are vegetables? Genuinely, what's a vegetable and which one should I be eating? And I attacked it. I attacked it like it was the most important school assignment of my life. I tried on any advice I heard from anybody. I read memoirs as self-help. I watched my friends' families in a mostly non-creepy way to kind of understand how did they take care of their kids. And after five years, I had a 600-page Google Doc and a completely different perspective on my life. Like, I no longer wanted to die. I, I wanted to live and explore and be curious. And that's when I realized I had a book to write because I had an offering. I had a roadmap for healing, whether you had a childhood like mine or something far worse or something where your parents nurtured the shit out of you. I think we all need the message that we are responsible for taking care of ourselves in an authentic way that is joyful, that our lives are not a series of crises to be endured. It is to be enjoyed. So. That's the story of how I ended up even writing a book. It's so interesting. And there was a part in your book where you were talking about how one of your friends said something like, my mom made this dentist appointment. And you're like, I wish I had even seen the same dentist over and over again. I wish. And it was so funny because it brought back a memory for me where I remember being a high school, maybe junior or senior, and I had to call in for something. I don't know if it was to make an appointment or to like ask for a refund. There was some 
normal, responsible thing that I needed to call for. And I had like a debilitating anxiety to even do it. And I'm like, mom, you've always made these calls for me. Will you please make Mm. this? And part of that (laughs) followed through in regular life where I still, I mean, now, now I'm finally getting the hang of it. And I'm like, I'll stand up for this. I'll request my refund. I'll set an appointment. But through my twenties, it was the hardest thing for me to do because that had always been taken care of for me. So it was so interesting for me how it ended up causing two completely separate problems that we both needed to heal from coming from the exact opposite sides of the spectrum. I'm so happy you shared that detail in particular, because I think it really highlights that I don't blame my parents for the neglectful environment I grew up in. They were trying their best. And that's what all parents are doing. No parent goes into it saying like, oh, let me figure out how to screw up my kid. And so even the parents who do everything for their children, there still is some self-care that every, uh, I was going to say kid, but really every adult, because that's what you turn into, needs. So that that's so interesting to come to the same place from two very different roads. Another thing I find interesting is that A lot of your story, you were still achieving on the outside. You dove into school and you dove into work. And some people in your life might not realize that you were totally struggling on the inside. Maybe the people that knew you really well did. That's definitely what happened to me. I was always good at work, but Mm -hmm. not so good at the life side, just like you said. And so it was like I would achieve a lot. And I loved the external validation. I hadn't really thought of it until you said that a minute ago. It was all the external validation stuff that really kept me going. But then the moment school would end, or it might be turning in my work at the last minute, skipping the actual class, but getting the work in and making up an excuse and then binge drinking all night long or doing party drugs or just like letting things go. And people don't realize that. Like, I'll know people from my past and they'll be like, oh, you were always just so smart and so good at this stuff. And I'm like, let me tell you what was really happening (laughs) now that I'm okay with sharing it. Yeah. I mean, the number one reaction I get from colleagues or people who know me now is, wait, what? What did you go? What happened? You, You what with your parents? Like, I present, and even at the time, and I've worked at Comedy Central for 10 years, so a lot of this was happening while I was there. I present as super pulled together. Oh, you can trust me, and I'm very responsible with work. But when I really investigated why, it was because that was where I got all of my validation. And I was tethered to that validation. So then I was subject to what everybody else thought of me. Like I was never subject to what do I think of myself. I was always subject to, does my boss like me? Am I kicking ass at this project? Do I look good? You know, same thing at school. Did I get an A? Did I get a hundred percent? Like I was the annoying person who was on the verge of tears if I got an A minus. And the reason was not because I'm a jerk, not because I'm like so out of touch, but because the grade was my self-esteem. That was my identity. And so, yeah, at the time, people had no idea what I was going through because that's not what I wanted them to know. It took writing the book to be able to kind of come clean and come into the sunlight and admit the truth. I was good at work and really sucky at life.
we're all here just trying to live our best lives, right? And while you're here listening to a podcast, you might feel like you're on the right track, but then you visit family or you have a work deadline or something unexpected comes up and you're all stressed out and it feels like all the work is out the window. That's why it's so important to consciously curate what you can control, like who you surround yourself with, what you watch, what you listen to. So I'm going to add another podcast to your toolbox, The Dr. John Deloney Show. He has a PhD in counseling and has been sitting with hurting people for 20 years. He shares practical advice for everything from how to connect with people, how to face depression, overcome anxiety, and learn just what it means to be well. But what's really cool about his show is you can even leave a voicemail or send an email and he'll address your topic or question about mental or emotional help on the show. So no matter what you're going through, the Dr. John Deloney show is here for you. Listen to the Dr. John Deloney show wherever you get your podcasts or follow the link on the website. I'm constantly sharing with my clients to stop searching in life and instead start aligning. It's true with purpose, with relationships, with higher versions of yourself, and it's also true for hiring. The best way to search is actually just to match with Indeed. Indeed is your one-stop hiring platform with millions of job seekers visiting every month, and their powerful matching engine helps you find quality candidates fast. Plus, Indeed lets you schedule interviews, screen applicants, and message candidates all in one place. But Indeed isn't just about speed. They also deliver quality. According to a recent Indeed survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. I love Indeed because it makes hiring so much easier. I'm all about alignment in all areas of my life, and that includes people I hire to work in my business. So I need a hiring partner that makes it simple to find candidates with the right skills. And that's Indeed. And what's really cool is Indeed's matching engine gets smarter the more you use it, learning from your preferences and over 140 million qualifications. Plus, I love that I can do all my hiring in one place. It's just one less thing to keep track of between all of the other things. So join over 3.5 million businesses worldwide who rely on Indeed to find great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to Indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's also something that I've had to come to terms with because I'm an only child. And so there's something even with that. When I speak to other only children, that validation, it's built into me in a way. And so for a long time, when I started to become aware of my patterns, it was something that I was kind of ashamed of. And I'm like, why do I feel like I need this so much? But what I've learned to do, and maybe as I continue to age and get older and heal and develop, maybe this will shift. But for now, what I've gotten to a place of is, is transforming that into a better form of validation. Whereas I'm not seeking somebody to say that I'm great for my own self-worth, but I have built something where I still have an audience and it really feeds me to know that I'm helping people. And so when people do reply back, like, this is exactly what I needed, I am so fulfilled in a different sort of way. Like it's not fulfilling my worth. It's fulfilling my ability to 
give, my ability to have a place in this world that makes a change. And so that's where I'm right. at right now, where it's it still does give me a little bit of that validation. And I'm not sure if that's what the highest form of this should be, or again, if that's going to evolve as I get older, but understanding your patterns and then transforming them in a way that's healthier for the right. time being, at least along that spectrum of growth, can also be a stepping stone in where you want to be. Right. And I mean, there is no should. You are exactly where you are and you're figuring it out. And I think very few people ask the question, where do I get my self-esteem from? So they have no idea what the answer is. And what I write about in my book is I had gone so later in like in my mid 20s, I found myself pretty curious about Judaism. I'm Jew-esque. I like everything Jewish. I don't know any of the prayers. And I went to this Yom Kippur service, which is supposed to be this like super solemn day. It's the Jewish Day of Atonement. But instead, my temple, everyone was dressed in all white and like celebratory clothing. And it was the first time I'd gone to this temple. And I was like, wait, what? Why are they doing this? And the people around me kind of explained that it was a day of spiritual purity. And we can approach even the most negative things we've done in a compassionate for ourselves way, compassionate for others way. And in the prayer book, I saw this question, which was, who even are you? And that had me shook. I was like, oh, my God, who even am I? So that day I went home and I charted out who I thought I was, where I thought I got my self-esteem from, what my values and principles were, and what I wanted people to say about me when I'm six feet underground. Like, what work do I want to leave in the world? And so now when I take on a project or when I do anything that's external, I'm not subject to what other people think of it. I'm subject to, am I doing the things that bring me my own self-esteem? Am I living in accordance with my own values? Am I doing the things that I want people to say about me later? So it's just a different way to kind of frame it. I think a lot of my book and my work is about how you frame things and what perspective you put on it. But I really, what I love about what you're saying is we kind of have to choose where we get our self-esteem from. And like for you, if it's from service, which that's my highest aim, I'm not there yet. I'm aware that a life of service is probably the most meaningful. And I'm on the ladder of fully diving into that life of service. And what does it mean for me? But I love that you're asking that fundamental question. It's so important. Well, what I found is similar to you, where you're just kind of floating with the wind, like seeking yeah. the validation outside of yourself, what ends up happening is depending on who you're around and what their beliefs are, it can change at any given moment. So you're never quite sure if you're doing it right. And one example I can remember is, so I remember having a friend who was really into fashion and she had this whole mindset about it where the way you present yourself on the outside is going to affect what you feel on the outside. It shows that you really care for yourself and all of these things. So I was like, okay, this is a really good way to be. I understand. And then all of a sudden I made a different friend who was total opposite, kind of just hippie, didn't really care about any of that stuff, thought of that being like the capitalism thing and being like, do you know how much money people are wasting on fashion just to prove <laughs> themselves on the outside? 
And all of a sudden I'm like, oh man, I've been doing this all wrong. And it would just shift. And what was happening is both of those ways are totally great ways to think about life and what actually lights you up. But I wasn't looking to see, hey, is fashion lighting me up? Does this mean anything to me? Because when you start from there, it doesn't matter what other people's beliefs are. It's more just interesting what other people's beliefs are. And it's like, that's a cool way to look at it. That's a cool way to look at it. But what do I feel about this inside? And this can happen with anything that we're looking at. And that's why the having principles and values that are actually guiding your life is so important because then you're stronger in where you're going to be and you're not just thrown off track by somebody else's opinion. I mean, what you said, I just jotted down about 30 notes because <laughs> you made me realize something that I hadn't realized before, which is I used to do this thing in relationships where I would switch my opinion to whatever my boyfriend thought like whatever they thought, I thought if they didn't like somebody, I didn't like somebody. And I would always be caught off guard when I remember a, a boyfriend of mine in college didn't like somebody. So then I was super judgy about that person. Maybe four months later, he went to hang out with this person. And I was like, wait, what? But you don't like, you don't like them. Why are you hanging out with them? He's like, we oh, don't yeah. like him. <laughs> yeah. I'm, yeah. Right. We don't like him. Like, why would you do this? And he's like, oh no, we fixed our relationship. Like we're all good. And I was like, you have to tell me these things. If we've changed our mind, you have to tell me these things. <laughs> it actually took you saying it right now for me to realize, yeah, when you're untethered, when you don't really know who you are in the inside, and you don't know what your values are. And I certainly did not. If you had asked me, what are your values in college? I would have said weed. That would have been my number <laughs> one value. We are completely subject to the whims and ideas of other people. And now I'm in a place where, just like you said, when I hear somebody's judgment or opinion, I think, oh, interesting, not, okay, we think that now. <laughs> so a lot of what you had learned when you're going through the chapters of this book, it's like you were curious and you asked people and you didn't have an ego, well, you were breaking down your ego of like, is this stupid or is this useful? <laughs> and yeah. you're asking a lot of different people their opinions on things. How did you decide which things stuck and which things maybe didn't feel right for you? It's such a good question. I was so desperate that I would try on anything, like even things that felt too woo-woo and out there. I was like, whatever. I'm in no position to judge anything. So I think my humility was just a function of being in the gutter at that point. There really was. That's how I felt about myself. But basically, the things that lit up my soul a little, the things that made my everyday a little better, those were the things that stuck. But I committed to them. So no matter what it was, I committed. And I think what happens, because now people reach out to me all the time. You know, I, I talk a lot about journaling, for example, in my book and the power of journaling. And I'll get messages. Oh, I tried journaling one time and I did it intermittently and it didn't really work for me. I'm like, okay, well, you didn't try journaling. You don't know what the result is because you didn't actually try it. You didn't actually commit. And I think there's such magic in commitment, committing to journaling, committing to a gratitude practice, committing to exercise. 
there's momentum in that alone and saying, I am worth this and I am going to commit to this to see what happens on the other side. And then if you decide after a month of journaling that, you know, this made no difference in my life, it didn't make me have more perspective or feel better, then you can ditch it. But for me, the key was I had to be consistent and to commit to something and then I could ditch it. But I really wanted to try everything that was suggested. That makes perfect sense because I remember I do yoga almost every day. Now that we're quarantined, I do yoga every day. But there was a time when class pass had just started and I was like, I'm going to try some Pilates reformers classes. And I signed up for a few. They were good. They were, well, I loved them. But then I went to this one called Pilates Platinum and it was a whole different ball game. It's like five times harder than any of the other ones. And it was so funny because there was this woman that was like, in this really magical like leopard leotard with these hot pink spandex and she was like 68 or something like that she, like uh-huh. she was from the movies right and uh-huh. i was sitting there trying to do this inner thigh workout i could barely do it and i consider myself to be very athletic it was so difficult and she's just like busting away at it and afterwards i realized i was using all these tiny muscles that are never hit in a yoga class and so if I would have been the kind of person that was not used to working out and didn't understand that process of like, okay, I've just tried something new and I have to get through it, I would have stopped right there. But what ended up happening is I'm pushed on because I was picturing like Madame Leotard over there in all of her glory. And I would go and every time that I showed up, it got a little bit easier. And it wasn't easy, but it was easier until my muscles got used to showing up for that exercise. And then my body started to crave it. And that happens with a lot of different things where it's hard at first. And you're like, maybe I hate this. But if you just push through for a certain period of time and keep your commitment, not only do you feel better about what you're doing, but you feel better about yourself because you start to build that self-belief, the evidence that you are the kind of person that can commit to something. And the more that you try these little things that are supposed to help your life and you stop before they can do any good, first of all, you lose hope in the idea that anything can improve your life and you lose hope in yourself for actually being able to follow through with anything. I mean, you've hit the nail on the head and I'm taking so many notes because that is exactly the issue. What I write a lot about is we need to build faith in ourselves, in our bodies. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I really need to get something off my chest. Being a mom of a three-year-old boy is really freaking hard, and sometimes it has me questioning my sanity. But then he'll grab my face and call me his sweet little mama. Yes, that's a real thing he says, (laughs) and it will all melt away until I break his banana. I thought I was done with emotionally abusive relationships, but nope. We all carry around stressors, big and small, and when we keep them all bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's so hard finding friends and family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. And therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know? 
It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of yourself. And BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need eight glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. It's a zero sugar electrolyte drink that's all about effective hydration. Each pack gives you essential electrolytes like sodium and potassium without the unnecessary additives found in other drinks. The team behind Element includes experts in biochemistry and nutrition, so they really know what they're doing. And it's not just for everyday use either. Elite athletes and teams, Olympic weightlifters, CrossFit champions, Navy SEALs, all rely on it too, which to me says a lot about its effectiveness. Here's what makes them really unique. They recently launched a hot chocolate line with flavors like chocolate mint, chocolate chai, and chocolate raspberry. Ever since I went alcohol-free, I've been really intentional about luxurious, health-focused drinks so I can sit back and unwind while actually doing good for my body. And the Element Chocolate Chai is great for relaxing in the evening or warming up after winter sports. And you can try Element totally risk-free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back, no questions asked. Receive a free Element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. What I write a lot about is we need to build faith in ourselves, in our bodies. You can have lots of opinions and thoughts about yourself, but do you have the faith that you are worthwhile and that you are worthy in your body? And so I write a lot about exercise. I write a lot about physical rituals, like taking a bath and things that are very gentle on yourself, because I really believe that we need to build the faith in our joints, in our muscle memory, that we can achieve the goals we want to achieve and that we are stronger when we treat ourselves well and don't just have a soundtrack of, I suck, I'm the worst, I'm not worthy, I'm doomed, I'm going to lose my job, which was definitely the soundtrack of my life for a long time. When we give up on these things too early, we rob ourselves of the benefit of the feeling of achieving small goals. And just like in Pilates, where you're trying to get your muscles, you're trying to get to like that shaky feeling, the shaky feeling that you get in a bar class or a Pilates class, or if you've run too long, or if you just run very far, that shaky, that uncomfortable is good for us. But the moment things get uncomfortable, we tend to jump away. Oh, I don't want that. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. No. But if we lean into the discomfort, the discomfort's just growth. It's just your muscles getting stronger. It's just your mind getting stronger. So that was a big guiding principle for me. If a piece of advice I tried on felt ugh, gross, throw up in my mouth bad, like if I had a horrible reaction to it, I stuck with it more because I knew that my factory setting 
is that when something is hard, I run away. And I wanted to change that about me. And, and you can't change that unless you change that. I actually started writing morning pages this morning. Journaling has been one of those habits that it'll be the first thing I let go of because it's like my hand cramps. I'm not even used to writing. (laughs) And I do get a lot out when I'm creating an episode because I learn, I take notes and all this stuff. So it feels a little bit like journaling, but it's something that I've always wanted and I'll start up the habit and then stop the habit. So I'm like, well, now is the perfect time since I'm spending more time at home than I have before. And so I wanted to kind of elaborate on that a little bit for people that are wanting to take up a journaling habit, or they do just have extra time and they want to try to fill it with something. What are some of your tips for what to actually write in these things? What's helpful? What's not that helpful? What worked for you? So it was the first thing I tried in my reparenting self-care journey was journaling. And I asked, um, one of my best friends, Isabel, you know, I'm like sobbing over a glass of Pinot Noir about like, why do no boys like me? And why is my family such a disaster? And feeling really sorry for myself. And she asked if I had ever read this book by Julia Cameron called The Artist's Way. And I said, no. And also that's just about the cheesiest title for a book I've ever heard. And she was like, I think you need that. The book is all about sort of rediscovering your inner artist or inner child and about finding prayers for a more abundant universe. Oh my God. I wanted to throw the glass of wine in her face. It was like, but then you'd be wasting wine. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So you couldn't do that. But I just thought it was so lame and cheesy, but because I was just again on low willing to try anything, I bought the artist way and I was flipping through it. I came to the morning pages. And the way Julia Cameron describes them is that they are three pages of word vomit every morning before you've, and this is how I describe it. I don't think there was Instagram when Julia Cameron wrote the book, but before you scrolled through Instagram to see how many likes your perfectly baked cake got, before you watch the news to see how a pandemic is spreading, before you check in with your bestie on text you go to the page and you have the responsibility of writing three pages of handwritten thoughts. It's not a narrative. You're not telling a story. You're not like, dear journal, last night, Andrew said, da, 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 da. It's not like, it's not performative in any way. It doesn't have to be good or perfect. And it can just be, oh, I hate these morning pages. I can't wait until they're done. When they're done, I'm going to go on a run, but first I have to finish them. But basically, it's you commit to jotting down what is on your mind three pages every day. And I could not have been more skeptical of the practice. I could not have been a least a least likely person to journal. I thought journaling was for broken narcissists who just thought they were so important. I have been consistently journaling for nine years. I have maybe skipped a handful of days. And those days I felt wretched and awful the rest of the day. Because what journaling does is it it's like DMing with your soul. Like those little sneaky private messages you need to hear but might be too shy to tell yourself in the real world, you will end up writing in your journal. So my advice to anybody who wants to try journaling is to actually try it and not just 
scribble some notes three days in one month. And what I would do is set out a block of time. I suggest 20 minutes. Three pages takes about 20 minutes every morning for one month and see how you do. And if you need prompts, my book has a bunch of prompts, but there are easy things like, how do I feel today? Here's one thing in my life I've been thinking I want to change. In a dream world, my perfect day looks like those if you just need anything to get started. But really just, how do you feel that morning? I'm in bed. I've woken up. I have a hangover. Probably shouldn't have had that much wine. Today I'm going to, whatever it is, there is no perfect journaling. The other thing I do is when I'm approaching three pages is I write the 10 things I'm grateful for. That's about the only part of my journaling that has structure. And that practice has also been pretty life altering. But I journaling, it's sticking to it. It's if you're going to try it, and it is scientifically one of those things where therapists and psychiatrists tout the power of writing your own narrative. It just does help you get through the bad moments, but also the good. There's this amazing Nora Ephron quote where she says, above all else, the heroine of your story, not the victim. And I think there is no better place to do that than in a journal. Yeah, I have made the commitment to journal every day of self-quarantine. So I will send you an email and let you know how it's going. I love that. Please check in with me, please. I will, I will. And one of the prompts that I really particularly loved is you suggested to write a question one day and then answer it the next. And it's like your inner wisdom comes out because I've always loved the, even just the simple magic of asking a magic eight ball or pulling tarot cards. But what I love about this is, it has that same feeling of magic to me, but it's like pulling from your own inner wisdom rather than yeah. seeking outside of yourself. And I have already been loving the morning pages because what I found is that I can notice when I'm too invested in social media or especially now checking the latest updates because there's like an update every hour about what's going <laughs> on around us. But I can feel my brain seeking outside of myself. Like, it's like, what do I do next? Let me find something over here. Let me scroll over here. What can I think about? What does Twitter tell me I should think about? Whereas if I am meditating and journaling, especially first thing in the morning, it's like, okay, let me pull from myself first. And it feels more like this idea of blossoming rather than building from the outside. So it's already calmed my brain a ton and makes me feel a little bit more in control of my day. Absolutely. I mean, you're so wise. That's exactly what it is because you're not subject in the first thing in the morning, you are not subject to the opinions of the external world. For the rest of the day, you will be, but top of the morning, you are not. And so that is the moment to dive within and see what's there, see what wants to talk to you. You know, I talk about journaling. For me, one of the most important things about it was that I had built such a low ceiling over what I thought my life could be. I was 25 and I thought I was too old to ever write, too old to ever be in love, that everything was doomed and that I could never get better at 25. And as I was journaling, that's what I started journaling that I'm too old. It's too late. It's never going to get better. I'll always be a depressed, anxious mess. There's no help for me. 
And as I read those words on the pages, I wasn't even aware that I believed those things until I saw them on the page. So journaling gets you in touch with your beliefs. And that's very important because your beliefs are not true. Your beliefs are a bunch of chatter in your brain. The truth is you can build a glittery life. You can make habits that work for you. The truth was I was not too old. It was not too late. What does too old even mean for anyone at any age? Like it was crazy. But a journal, it gets you in touch with what I call my Oprah mind. And my Oprah mind is not concerned with my petty worries of the day, of these small things that usually trip me up, but instead is like, okay, how are we going to build an empire? Okay, what's the big plan? Okay, are you taking enough time to be with yourself and really get dreamy? And until I journaled, I really never thought expansively or abundantly about myself. I just let myself believe these limiting, limiting beliefs that I wasn't good enough and that things would never get any better. Right. And I always use the visual of when there's things going on in my mind, it's almost like I'm holding the bunch of strings of balloons and I'm like afraid to let them go. And the moment I write it down, it's like, okay, this is already taken care of. This page is holding that balloon string. And so it frees up a lot of things. And for me, I remember even thinking one of the exercises I did that really helped was taking note of all the limiting beliefs that were happening throughout the day. And when I was introduced to this idea, I was like, I know all of them. They're in my head all the time. Like, I know these, I need to write it down. But the more I did it, I was letting the big balloon strings go and being able to uncover all of these layers that I didn't realize were completely guiding my life. And so when you write it down, you're able to see it in the magnitude that it is and be like, hold on, if these are the thoughts that are taking up my brain space, like there's no room for anything to create. And what I also loved is you had a part of your book that really talked about seeking approval of yourself first versus the outside, which we've touched on a lot. But when I was able to clear that space, I was able to actually build ways to approve of myself and to build beliefs and have those be the strings I'm holding on to, or even just like as the foundation of what is in my mind so that I could create from there. And one of the things that you talked about was writing lists. You had a hype men list and a road warriors <laughs> list and like a no way list. And that was really healing for me too. And realizing who was I surrounding myself with? And there was a period of time where a lot of the people were the no way list. And I'll let you explain what these lists mean. Yeah. So I am a huge believer that all of these thoughts, all of these things, if we write them on paper, we can really deal with them much better on the page. It's out of your head. It's tangible. It's something you can act on and see in the physical world. And so because I was so tied to external validation, I would go to the worst people possible looking for their approval. Like if you thought I was just like meh or like I perceived that you weren't into me, you were the exact person I was going to try to get to like me. Because if you liked me, it meant I was lovable and that I won and that I switched the narrative. However, if you were already into me and supportive and a good friend, then I didn't trust you because you should know better than to trust me. And for me, it was something I actually kind of learned about in college because I was always vying for the approval of this like very hip theater professor 
who was just very cold and dealing with her own issues and, and her own limiting beliefs and kind of projecting them onto the students, which is pretty common in a creative field, actually. But I didn't know that at the time. And I just wanted her to like me. I wanted her to show up to the plays I was writing. I wanted her to tell me something reassuring. And she never did. And in a very dramatic moment, she didn't show up for the opening of a, a play I had written, and it broke my heart. And what I realized over time is you have to be really specific about who you go to advice for and who you do seek approval for. Because as much as I get my approval from myself, we're also living in a social world with other people. So I have my hype men list, my road warriors list, and my absolutely not are you crazy list. And the way I break it down is my hype men list. That's who I go to if I need enthusiasm and support and like, you got this girl. So if I'm just went through a breakup or I have an idea for an essay collection or something that feels very vulnerable, I'll go to someone on my hype man list because I always know that they will cheer me on. They'll be a cheerleader for me. Um, my next list, my road warriors list, is if I have an idea that's a little more mature, if I'm a little further down the road and need advice and feedback, I'll go to them to ask, what do you think? Is there any way you would do this differently? You know, I'm looking for some feedback because there's a big difference between those two groups. One is to hype you up and to just be a fan of yours. The other is to take a more critical look at what you're doing and perhaps offer help. And the third list is the people who I will only ask a question of if I want to drive myself crazy and I hate myself and I do not want to drive myself crazy and I do not hate myself. So I will not go to that list. And these are people who have historically told me that they don't think what I'm doing is a good idea or always find fault with my latest project. I mean, some of these people are in my own family and they're just, they love me. They're not bad people, but they're really damaging to my ideas and my wishes and my optimism. So I keep them the fuck away from me, <laughs> far, <laughs> far away from me. But it really helps to list it out because, again, it's about being intentional and about being really mindful about, okay, I've got this idea for an Etsy beef jerky company. Do I need feedback on how do you start a business? Should I go to my entrepreneur friends? Or do I need my best friend, Julia, just to be like, cool idea. I've got your back. That's a great idea. Like really knowing what we need in the moment. I love that because I was the same way. It's almost like I would seek out the people because it, you know, we're looking for confirmation bias. And so it's really hard if we yeah. don't believe in ourselves to hear positive feedback because you want to argue back. You're like, nope, that doesn't fit in my current beliefs about myself. I'm just getting there. And so a lot of it is for me, I need the hype men first. And then when I'm starting to take action, I need to take action before I can even get to the road warriors <laughs> because even if it completely evolves, even if it gets to a point where I've done some work and they're like, okay, why don't we pivot over here? That's still better for me than having to pivot before I even start because I haven't yet built evidence that I can even get started. So I really love having totally. those lists, especially because 
I have a free download for listeners whenever they sign up for my email list, what I call my power lists. And it's just lists that I write out when I'm in a really high vibration, when I'm feeling really good, because I know when I'm feeling really depressed or when I'm really sad or low, it's hard to even access that because it's not in the confirmation bias. So instead of having to think of something that's going to lift my spirits, I go to one of the lists and I'm like, okay, these are the things that help me feel good about myself. These are the things that help me feel motivated. These are the books that I can flip to a page that will inspire me automatically. And just knowing that creating when you're feeling good and having those resources for yourself is almost like leaving a rope above a well when you've fallen down, you know, instead of having to slowly dig up, you can grab the rope and just pull yourself right out. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I keep a list on my desk of the 50 things that make me feel good so that when I'm depressed, it's almost like an automatic action. I feel depressed. Let me look at the list. Oh yeah. I really like going on hikes just down the street from my apartment. That will make me feel better. It's really important to do ourselves a favor and build these. It's a little trick. It's an amazing trick. I love that to know what makes you feel good so that when you don't feel good, all you have to do is look at the list. Yeah. And basically the biggest message that is from your book, Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies, is just that, like you said earlier, life is to be enjoyed. A line that you said in your book is life is not a list of things that you just have to get through. And so if that's, if you're taking an honest audit of your days and you're having to get through most of it, then you might want to switch some things because not like, I don't like to tell people you're doing it wrong, but you could be doing it to where you're having more fun. You could be doing it to where you're actually feeling joy in this life rather than just getting through another day or sacrificing another thing because that's what you feel like you should do. So I'm curious now, especially with the hard times that are going on and and just the totally unique time that we're living in right now, how are you applying this principle to each day instead of just kind of getting through the fear? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's so important in normal life to look at your life as not something to get through, but to be enjoyed. But it's doubly important in a time of crisis like we're in now. And so I've really um, drilled into my self-care routine. I have lost none of my habits. I think now more than ever, you must buy yourself the fucking lilies. Like when you go out to get your ration of foods and your glove and mask, if you see at Trader Joe's that they have tulips or lilies or whatever, get those too. Because this is our life. It is happening right now. It's not going to happen in three months when this is hopefully all behind us. No, your life is happening right now. And we have no predictive power over the future. So the challenge is how can I enjoy it today? And the way that I have found myself enjoying it today is asking the question, who do I want to be on the other side of this? How do I want to look at how I spent this time? Do I want to look back and say, I just fretted and worried and was curled up on my couch watching Netflix? Maybe, maybe that's one way to be. Or do I want to be somebody who took the time to do some self-work. I'll always talk about being on a meditation retreat. Well, guess what? I've got ample time to do an at-home meditation retreat. 
Do I want to be a person who was of service to her community and reached out to other people in a crisis? Do I want to be a person who never forgot to buy herself the lilies? Really ask yourself, who do I want to be on the other side of this? And I think I also have come up with small goals. I have been bemoaning that there's not enough space in my kitchen for my teas, that they just kind of like sit on a counter and dawdle there. And I I really don't like clutter. So you know what? I did something about it. I have time right now. I ordered a floating shelf to put in the kitchen. And that sounds so simple and so silly, but it's something I just didn't have the time for before. And so I think coming up with asking on a spiritual level, who do I want to be on the other side of this, but also making the small practical adjustments in your living space, or maybe it's a physical fitness goal, like I want to do yoga every day of this. I think finding those little ways to kind of reframe this as what will you do to enjoy this more and to be more mindful in this time? I I think that's really the key. Wow. I got so many chills when you were talking because I've been leading morning meditations on Instagram live every day at 9 a.m. Pacific Mm. Standard Time. And today was all about self-love. And what I ended it with was really thinking, instead of visualizing yourself as how am I barely going to survive this? How am I going to transform on the other side of this? Who am I going to be? And it was like the exact same thing that you were saying. So this message is obviously the one that needs to get out there today. So thank you so much for everything that you shared with us. I'm only halfway through the book and I can't wait to finish it. So I highly recommend that. I'll be linking to that and anything else that we mentioned, including the artist way in the show notes. But for listeners who are really resonating with you, where is the best place that they can connect with you online? Yeah. So I'm on Instagram way too much. I'm Tara Schuster on Instagram and I reply to everybody because I want community too. And if you go to my website, taraschuster.com, I have a newsletter where I give one not so cheesy, you'll throw up in your mouth, self-care tip every week. So you can go on the website and subscribe. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 127. I'll be linking to Tara's amazing book, Buy Yourself the Fucking Lilies. I'll also link to the book we referenced, The Artist's Way. And like I said in the beginning, I have a few printables for you guys to kickstart your journaling habit and to create some of those lists that we talked about, like your hype men list, your road warriors list, and your absolutely not are you crazy list. And I have a few more thoughts as we finish up this episode. People instinctively know that trying to accomplish some big project is almost impossible without intentionally creating to-do lists or an overall plan. Well, guess what, my friends? You are your biggest life project. That's why I'm such an advocate for lists like my Powerless booklet, which you get free when you sign up for the Morning Mind Love, by the way, or some of the lists like Tara and I talked about today, or just unstructured journaling. There's something really powerful about getting things down on paper. They become more real. It allows you to see your thoughts and beliefs so that you can decide which thoughts or beliefs that you want to feed because those are what will create your life. If you know someone who needs to hear this, please share this episode with her or him or take a screenshot and share it on Instagram and tag me at mindlovemelissa so that I can reshare it with the community. 
If you haven't yet given Mind Love a five-star rating and it's helped you in any way, may I please ask you to do that? Five-star reviews are so helpful in growing the show and helping more people and getting better guests like Tara. I hope you are all staying safe and healthy and even more so, enjoying your damn life. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.